Dallas, thanks for coming out for doing this. Maybe just uh, introduce yourself, who you are, where you're from, and... Uh, Okay, so we're rolling? Yeah, we're rolling. We're, we'll okay. edit it all together later, but yeah, go ahead. All right. Well, hello, hello. My name is Dallas Arcand. I'm from uh, from the area. I was originally born in Edmonton, uh, and I'm actually from... I consider myself from Edmonton and also from Alexander because I belong to a community, Alexander First Nation. That's where I grew up most of my years, uh, but I've been around all over the place. But I consider like Edmonton and Alexander First Nation to be my home. Like I, I grew up out there. I have a lot of memories out there, a lot of ties out there, a lot of family out there. And you know, regardless of where I've traveled in the world and what I've done, I've always considered the, these places to be home. You know, it's like yeah. where I go home to, and um, it's where I feel at home too. It's it's it's, it's my territory too. So. Yeah. No, and there's always a deep connection with uh, where a person grows up. Like I grew up on a farm that was out uh, west by Wildwood, and it was right on the Lobstick River. And it's the same thing. Like, no matter where you go, we don't have anything else. And but where you grew up as a kid, you kind of yeah, yeah, you got that connection to places. Yeah. And what did you do as a kid? Like, you, you know, you you're hoop dancing, and you're traveling all the world. And you know, before we were rolling here, we we're talking about you actually even made it over to Spain as a young guy too. But yeah. What? How did you? How did you grow up? Where did? Uh, where did you get this interest? For the hoop dancing part, yeah. um, I kind of stumbled upon it uh, when I was when I was going to school in Edmonton. There's a school called Ben Calf. Uh, it's uh, an indigenous, all indigenous school. Like most of the faculty and students are indigenous, and a lot of the curriculum is based on uh, indigenous culture, like where it incorporates the the language, the cultural activities, and the okay. whole school, the whole core of the school is is uh, based on those principles uh, that are influenced by indigenous culture. So that's where I stumbled upon hoop dancing from a friend of mine that I went to school with. Uh, his name was Joe Chatsis. And uh, uh, one day I, after school, I went to his place and we were hanging out and uh, like buddies do. And I noticed a big pile of hoops in uh, his living room and I was like, what are those for? And the first thing I did was, was I, I was like, is this for hula hooping? <laughs> so <laughs> he's like, no, that's not for hula hooping. Uh, and then he's like, it's for hoop dancing. And I was like, oh yeah, well, what's hoop dancing? And then he shows me a video of, it was actually not just a video of him. It was actually a music video he was in with, uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of Laura Vinson and the Free Spirit Band, but uh, she's a Métis artist, uh, Alberta artist. Yeah. Uh, she's actually won some Junos and oh, really? she's um, kind of a legend in, in in her own right, I guess. She 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 did a lot for her community. She actually used to work at Ben Caffer as well, too, at one point. But I think she's retired now and, and lives out uh, outside of um, Jasper now. And, and But uh, I remember seeing the, the music video, uh, and uh, my friend Joe there was had a whole bunch of hoops and he was doing the eagle formations and making these globes and and just just looking cool and I, I thought that was like super special that's what caught my eye was the fact that you can do this dance it's and it comes from our culture and who we are as indigenous people i was like i, I was hooked immediately and um uh, my friend joe showed me a couple little moves and uh, 
I kind of just, uh, for me, it was the new magic trick at the time. And well, and it's neat that you say magic because that's kind of what I thought. You know, the first time I've seen it, and mm-hmm. uh, that, that, like, it's it's combination of a bunch of things. It, you're almost putting together a puzzle. You got the music going at the same time. You're kind of juggling these things, and all of a sudden, you're doing a shape shifting move, and it's it's wild. Like. I don't know for folks that haven't seen it out there, but the transition from one thing where you've got, I don't know how many you're using, it seemed like there was like 10 or 15 or something crazy amount. And all of a sudden you're going from this ball configuration and all of a sudden, like you said, you're representing an eagle. And if you watch it and you get into the music, it's, you're the eagle. Like it's, it's pretty neat. Yeah. 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 Super amazing. Uh, that That's kind of what hooked me into it though. And uh, when I first started, uh, I had no intention of being a hoop dancer or performing I I didn't know that um, it would take me the places that I've been to like I if I would have known that maybe I would have I don't know I, I they say that like if you you know find something in life that you're passionate about it and if you do it right and, and you invest enough time into it that it can actually take you places in, in life and and get you places so for me um, in a way it kind of saved me from uh, a lot of the the negative things that were in my life at the time you know, and how old were you at this time I was I was probably around 13 or 14 okay and I was living in well I guess uh, be the ghetto parts of Edmonton and and uh, um, and I remember at that time there was a high rate of uh, well, even I, I'm pretty sure the statistics are the same, but uh, there's a high rate of uh, indigenous people in, in the prison system, and uh, according to my family, I, I was heading in that direction okay. uh, because of you know just growing up in a low socioeconomic uh, situation and you know being poor and on welfare, and it's just kind of a lifestyle, right? You you become you what your environment yeah. is and uh, hoop dancing actually brought me out of that is basically what my point is and and it took me out of that because uh, it it just gave me uh, a new breath of life a new perspective of life that introduced me to something more positive and something that gave me more purpose and mm-hmm. um, the more I grew into that the more people actually respected me and, and I think that the, that gave me an overwhelming uh, gratitude and and sort of like I, I was addicted to the uh, to the attention I guess the positive attention, which ain't a bad thing like yeah. from it and that's kind of where that comes from. Yeah. So and that's really neat that you say that as a young man. I mean, uh, we often talk about sports and, and dance and those type of things kind of you know come together. Uh, my kids they were all in Shumka dance, so down in that same part of you know Edmonton in that area. Um, and then understanding some of the cultural things, like my wife's family's Ukrainian, mine isn't. And all of a sudden you're starting to see these bridges and then um, the, the athleticism that goes in with it and the training, the amount of work that you go into it. Like the kids always had some goal and objective. They were always trying to get better and, and to do that. Um, did you find the same thing? Like when you started getting mentored and, and was it formally taught or is it kind of you pick it up yourself and try to, to do it or how does that work? <coughs> A lot of it. Sorry, a lot of it I had to do on my own. Uh, there wasn't uh, there wasn't any formal training, okay. and 
I, in the beginning, uh, when I was learning about it, um, I would I would kind of do it like just whenever. Um, and uh, my friend Joe actually lived with me for a while, and he was staying at our house. And so the only time I had to learn was when his hoops were around. I would just play around with them, right? Yeah. But when he left, uh, I didn't have no hoops no more. So I had this urge. I, I and there was no Home Depot or anything back in those days. Yeah. There was, and I was in the, I was in the hood. There wasn't even a Walmart. It was Kmart back then. So okay. I, I had no clue where to get this material. So I, I guess out of desperation, I I uh, I saw an old garden hose and I cut it up and I made my first set of hoops out of a garden hose. No kidding. And people laugh at me today because I, you know, my first hoops were, were garden hose and they were kind of flimsy. Yeah. And but I still made them work and and I um, made do with them. And uh, I remember the the next set of hoops. Uh, I was actually uh, on the reserve in, in Alexander, and one of my uh, cousins knew that I was getting into hoop dancing and knew that I needed hoop material. But anyways, uh, they were they were at the dump and they actually came across some scrap material okay. that they presented me and like, hey, I heard you need some hoop material, Dallas. And so, uh, yeah, my first, that was my humble beginnings. Like, I had to make everything myself. And a lot of times, like, my practice was in the living room or in the uh, on the grass on the lawn and okay. there was no formal that's as about as formal as it gets man i didn't have no formal no teacher kidding. so i did this all on my own and and my practice there was no youtube or anything back then either yeah. so i didn't have anything like that i was just all imagination right it's just, no kidding and even my very first outfit and stuff that I wore, I, I made it myself by hand. No kidding, really? Because I wanted to have an outfit and I didn't I didn't have the means. You know, I was poor. I grew up poor and I didn't have nothing. So every little thing that I had was, I just, uh, I kind of figured it out somehow. You know, I yeah. made the dream come alive by just finding the materials to do it. I obviously had a passion on that and uh, industry is enough to figure out how to put it together. That's pretty cool. And then when was your first performance? Like how did that work? You're kind of training, doing those things, getting your kit together. And then did you go to the, the school counselor or something and say, hey, let's do this? Or was it at the community? Or No. Um, my uh, One of my bros, uh, uh, one of my older cousins, his name is uh, Ryan Arcan. He's, he's one of the oldest cousins in the family like he's the oldest of all the grandchildren okay. anyways he used to live with us too and uh, I always look used to look up to him because he was a couple years older than me like he's probably about eight years ten years older than me and you know like uh, when you're young you always look up to the to the older ones and, yep. and envy their lifestyle so I I envied him because he he, he traveled a lot too and uh he would go firefighting in the summers and come back with loads of cash and he would be like doing all these cool things and here I'm stuck at home in in the hood and and you know it kind of wasn't as fun but uh uh 
at times I, I I didn't know whether he was just going somewhere or doing anything, but sometimes he would go firefighting. But also, I noticed he was going on these trips, and I was like, I asked him where are you where are you going? Like, seems like you're having like good times, and he's like, oh yeah, we went to this community and we and I performed there. I did the fancy dance, and then we met all these people and. So he was part of a dance troupe. Oh, no kidding. Out of the Canadian Native Friendship Center in Edmonton. Okay. So he was part of the uh, uh, a dance troupe that was out of that Friendship Center back in the day. It was called the White Braid Society Singers and Dancers. So what they did is they traveled around to different communities, like a traveling troupe. And, yeah. and it was fun. It was exciting because... They get to travel and see different communities in Alberta and beyond and even overseas sometimes. And they would get invited to go and perform for, you know, the premier of Alberta or schools or oh, festivals neat. or whatever, right? So I was interested in that. I was like, I was like, can you take me? I, was, I told him and he's like, yeah, but you have to come to practice. So, so I went to the Friendship Center and I... Uh, I, I went there and um, I, I wasn't even hoop dancing. I, the, he just told me, you got to sit at the drum and you got to learn. So I sat at the drum and, and learned all the songs and listened to the stories and, mm. and got to know the culture that way. And that's kind of how I got more into that component. And then which part of the culture, like in our area, we've got a, well, in my constituency, it's... Uh, uh, Alexander, Paul, and Alexis. So there's Nakota Sioux, and then there's Cree. Yeah. Um, so how does that transpire? Like again, if if you're telling somebody out there like me who's kind of new at that, how does how does the hoop dancing relate between those those different communities? Well, hoop dancing and powwow, uh, they're not really culture specific. Okay. It's sort of uh, an indigenous subculture, if you may. It's like how, okay, I'll give you the best uh, example. Um, you know, uh, black people are African, people of African descent invented hip-hop. Yeah. And that's, uh, they basically drew in all these elements and created this whole thing called hip-hop culture, right? Okay. So our people invented this thing called powwow culture. Powwow is, was never a thing um, 150 years ago. There's no such thing as a powwow. It, it, it only became powwow because of the buffalo bill wild west show right so what he, he did his vision was to bring forth uh, to the tourist something exciting yeah. so he took these ceremonial elements of the indigenous culture because they you know i think it was really depicted really well if you ever watched the movie gray owl with pierce okay. brosnan yeah. yeah my cousin nathaniel arcan is actually oh. acting in there <laughs> okay. yeah. yeah he's he's an actor in that movie so there's a depiction in that movie where he he's advocating because as you know he's not native right gray yeah. owl pierce brosnan he's not native but he advocates for the natives to like okay we'll we'll come and visit and entertain your guests but pay us right so that's where that whole concept came into okay. mind, like from the Buffalo Bill Wild West show. So he brought in Buffalo Bill was like bringing in show riders, rodeo, whatever, you know, it, it all came from that. So that's where the format of powwow really came right. from. Okay. Like no, nobody could really uh, uh, say otherwise because where's the proof? Because I, I know I've been around long enough to know these things and, and to know that 
powwows have only been around for uh, maybe a hundred years, yeah. maybe around there, not quite, because they never really emerged until like after that whole Buffalo Bill Wild West show. I'll be darned. So powwow is a subculture of our culture, okay. which all indigenous people contribute in some way. But in powwow, there's three women's dances and four men's dances that are the main categories. Okay, Depending on which region or territory you are, usually determines the type of influence, cultural influence on the powwow. So for example, if you're down in California, which is powwow, it's uh, powwow... Uh, season there right now in california yeah. it's called the california circuit right so in california all those tribes are on there they integrate their sure they'll have the main powwow categories but when they're not doing the powwow stuff they do this thing called bird dancing okay and it's where these guys stand all in a row i don't fully understand it and then they sing to each other and it's their cultural dance from that area okay but there's still the main powwow stuff that goes around. So powwow, the three men's or three uh, male categories are, or sorry, ladies categories are uh, ladies fancy, jingle, and uh, traditional. Okay. So ladies traditionals where they're with the fringes doing that slow, graceful dance. Okay, and gotcha. They got all the heavy beadwork. And that's kind of more of a slower paced dance. It's not very exciting to watch. Like you have to understand the gracefulness and the um, the uh, the amount of beadwork that they wear, and and it's it's more about uh, having an appreciation. It's like art and opera, I guess, okay. in, in a way. People, there's a certain amount of people that like that, right? So that dance isn't that exciting, but a certain amount of people respect and know that dance, and right, they watch yes. it, right? Okay, and then there, the other ladies' dances are ladies' jingle. It's where they have the jingles and the yep. cones, and it's like really, it's a little bit more energetic, and it's a beautiful dance to watch. And that's the category of the woman's dance that has the most dancers in it, because I don't know why, for some reason, it's like maybe an easiest dance to do or make or popular for some reason like okay. people of all shapes and sizes to do it because only certain body types can do certain dances and when you get to the ladies fancy shawl which is the third one you got to be more physically fit skinnier to do the ladies fancy shawl because okay. you're you're holding up a shawl you're dancing really fast and and the songs are faster okay. and so those are the three main women's dances and there's that's all there is for power for, for ladies. So and then that separates by category by age. So there's juniors, teens, uh, adults, senior adults, and maybe even golden age. But golden age, I've never really seen golden age fancy dancers. Okay. So, anyways, uh, to the men's side, there's four main dances. So they have fancy feather. That's what the two bustles don't wear one up here in the shoulder and one on the bottom. Okay. And it's a faster paced dance. And um, that one, you know, it's fairly popular. Um, and then the other men's dances are the men's traditional. That's where they wear the real deadly war paint. Oh, and, right on. Okay, yeah. And yeah. they have the eagle feathers. They wear one bustle and they look like warriors. Right? Yeah. And they, yeah. they, they, it's kind of like... The, it's kind of like the most highest respected dance and it's it can be very entertaining because it's like it's something you'd see out of a movie out of a postcard right yeah 
And then the other two men's dances is the men's grass. Actually, the men's grass is more traditional to this territory, to um, Treaty 6 uh, territory, uh, because it's the plains, right? It's the dance. Um, they say that grass dancing comes from a long time ago. They, uh, they used to send out the young warriors to go and find a, a camp. And then they would push down the grass oh, okay. for the camp, for the encampments, because there's no lawnmowers back in the yeah, day, right, right? So they would push down the grass by dancing. I don't know, they made a dance out of it. And it's, and for them, it's like blessing the ground, making sure it's safe there for, for people that come there, for the family, for the communities. And yeah. that was their job, right? To go and scout out a camp, push down the grass, make, make a dance out of it, bless it, dance on it, you know? And, and that's where that, tradition comes from and the other dance uh the fourth dance is actually in the newest addition to powwow which is uh the men's chicken dance and that's where they imitate uh, a, a prairie chicken there yeah. a bush chicken and it actually comes from treaty seven territory it was born there it comes from the blackfoots and uh there's two types of chicken dance there's the powwow version but there's also a ceremonial version which they do a healing ceremony okay. which is uh, separate from powwow so there's a lot to understand like because most people think that you know powwow is this or that but i i think i explained it to you the best is that it's a subculture of our yeah. culture that is kind of a new part of our culture like it's a new part like how black people invented hip-hop like how i explained that right? no and that's that's perfect because again um you know as a person that's new to this elected i've been to a couple powwows now and you kind of go through the you know, the official grand entrance and the openings and everything else, but no one's actually sat down with me. I'm sat in the stands, but no one's actually sat down with me and explained all the different elements of it. Um, Chief Rain, we were at one event, and he explained the ribbon dress uh -huh. and realizing how relative that was. And he goes, well, it was the Ukrainian settlers that first we used to work together, and, like, you know, we all settled in the same area, and they were the ones that gave us the ribbons. So there was some of this interaction as, as everybody was coming together on the plains at that time as pioneers and working together and... And doing that. But yeah, so thanks for that background information. That That is really cool. Yeah. 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 And then the the uh, sub-regions too, um, you know, again, understand that you've kind of got Treaty 6, Treaty 7, Treaty 8, and then you got Treaty 10, and then all of a sudden you get into the into the U.S. How are, how is the hoop dance related to that? And so is it another subset of one of those other four main dances, or is it something unto itself? Uh, the... The hoop dance, they say that it uh, came from um, it came from Taos Pueblo in the uh, United States, yeah. but uh, nobody really knows for sure, for sure, because a lot of uh, indigenous history wasn't really written down until the recent, you know, like uh, from a European colonial perspective it was written down when the first missionaries started coming to canada way back in the 1500s when samuel de champlain was settling into uh quebec area but yeah. a lot of the history that was ever quoted or written down out here um was only from the fur traders or from the fur trade right that was yeah. how a lot of the economy was driven back then and how a lot of the uh, early pioneers came into here in the areas uh so a lot of the history that was recorded was was through stories, through songs, through culture, through uh, whatever archaeological artifacts were left behind. But uh, the hoop dance, though, um, 
nobody really knows that answer to be a black and white answer. It's kind of an okay. area of gray. Like uh, I've asked people in different parts of the country, and and they, I've been told that um, every tribe or nation has their own version of the hoop dance. But really, the hoop dance that we do today, the one that you see, the the one that is popular, I guess. It, I think it just migrated its way this way. So let me give you another example of uh, which people don't pick on as much. But um, so the the grass dance, for example, okay, it comes from this area. But there's people in the desert and in Florida doing the grass dance. No kidding. Oh yeah, that is really cool. Because powwows are all across North America. Yeah, there's powwows in Texas, uh, California. Uh, like I said, Florida, New York. I was down in uh, New York, New York, and the Bronx. And there was a powwow in the Bronx. <laughs> no way. They're everywhere. That's what I mean, man. That's uh, that's our hip hop, you know. That is really cool. Uh, so, but grass dance comes from here, right? And it ended up over there because powwow, like I said, it's a shared common culture that all indigenous people contribute to. And it's based off of those dances and then the drumming and singing as well, right? There's that element of it as well. So, um, and the, the format, I can explain it, you know, like uh, there's the MC is just as important as the dancers too. And the, uh, like the MCs of the powwow, the masters of ceremonies, because they're the ones that are kind of conducting things, right? Yeah. And then they have a whip man, the arena director, the guy on the floor that's, directing traffic yeah. you know that knows how to do things properly because they have to be done a certain way right just like we're at an airport here there's protocols to follow right and there's yep. protocols in our culture as well too like even though powwow is like a subculture of of our culture which all indigenous people contribute to so that's the way that like a way to look at the hoop dance too is that okay. even though it came from over there we each kind of all adopted our own version of it and kind of tell our own story and have our own connection to it whatever tribe we come from so the coastal tribes they'll use coastal designs they'll have their outfits look more coastal okay they'll have a lot of different designs that are incorporated so that's how you can tell where a person comes from by their design by their language by their last name and everything like that oh neat yeah now is the hoop representative of something unto itself or well the the hoop is uh you know, the circle in general, the concept of the circle is, is very uh, uh, symbolic to our way of life as Indigenous people because everything that we do in our culture as Indigenous people always resolve, re revolves around the circle. Okay. So when we gather, we gather in a circle, like we have a sharing circle, right? And then when, in wintertime like this, we have round dance where we dance in the circle and hold hands, right? Yeah. And it's all about creating that, that circular environment. And even our traditional dwellings, you know, the teepees, for example, those are in a circle, right? Yeah. So this, the concept of the circle is very uh, important to our way of life. And the, the, the circle, it, it represents a lot of different things. Like if you look at the at a tree you can see the circles in the tree right it represents for life right okay. and, it, and it just kind of reverberates that way throughout our culture and our way of life and uh the the hoop though itself uh there's a couple of different philosophies that are based off of the the hoop itself like 
There was a gentleman by the name of um, uh, Kevin. Um, uh, he well, he just recently passed. Uh, what's his last name again? Uh, he he wrote a book called Mending the Sacred Hoop, right? So it's like a philosophy, I guess, like the the circle in itself. It's like it's like a way of life. It's like honoring our ancestors and and connecting ourselves to to the land and uh, to our ancestors, to our family. That's what the sacred hoop represents. Okay. It represents more than that. Like when it's together, right? When it's when it's together, that represents that connection, and it's continuous, right? Yeah, it's a continuous flow. Oh, his name was Kevin Locke. He 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 was out of the states. He was actually out of uh, where the Sioux people originally come from uh, in uh, North Dakota, yeah. I believe. Yeah, because as you you may not know this, but uh, and not a lot of people do know their history. But the Dakota Sioux people, they're not actually from Canada or Alberta. They're they're actually they came up here. So the story that I've been told by some some of my cultural knowledge keepers is that when the, everybody knows uh, the the world famous uh, uh, Custard story, General Custard, he was going yeah. around massacring tribes. Yeah. So, anyways, he, he went into the Sioux tribe and tried to massacre them too, but they knew he was coming and they they kind of got word and then they kind of waited for him, ambushed him, killed yeah. him. And then so what happened is after they killed Custer is that there was a certain tribe of Nakota Sioux that, that came to Canada to flee the uh, the U.S. cavalry yeah. that were hunting down tribes and trying to kill them, right? So they came up here, and when they came up here, the Blackfoots said, hide in the, our hunting grounds. They won't find you there. Yeah. And that's why, like, if you look at the where the Nakota Sioux are situated, they are all alongside the west side of Alberta. Which traditionally, that's not really their territory. That's okay. that's kind of an in-between space of uh, where the Blackfoots kind of told them that that's where they can they can hang for now, and, and yeah. it was only supposed to be kind of temporary, I, I guess. I don't, I'm not too sure, uh, but anyways, when when uh, the government was coming around making treaties, that's where they were at the time, and that's why they they got that area now. So if you look at that, how uh, that whole, so it goes as far north as Alexis, Paul Ban, and then you go down to Morley, uh, and then there's Bighorn, and then there's also, uh, what's that other place there by Longview there? There's another res there too. But all those reses, it's all like from north to south, side. all on the west side of Alberta. And, yeah. And that's how they got there. And well, I I picked up a book and it was the uh, the Treaties of Canada, mm-hmm. and it was like in the bargain book and at, at uh, chapters or something, and thought that was pretty cool. So for five bucks, and it had all the treaties, and it did speak about that event, and it was around Lake Winnipeg too. Yeah. So much the folks had displaced and moved up there, and uh, yeah, the, the U.S. had declared war, is how they managed their settlements, is what they did to your point. So they, uh, it was a. It was a war, and those folks fled after that engagement. And, uh, yeah, they signed a special treaty for, for those folks around Winnipeg as well. So that makes a lot of sense. And then I'd heard also that there was trade routes. Um, so I don't know when that came about. Maybe that was after that engagement or what had happened there. But it's it's interesting to get some of that, that other background and that history. And it's, you know, in the context of things, it's pretty recent history too when you think about it. So mm-hmm. going back a couple hundred years. Yeah, like my my great grandfather was uh, Nakota Sioux. Like his yeah. name was uh, Henry Paul. 
So he was uh, Nakota Sioux, uh, and he was one of the four main Paul brothers uh, that were part of this, part of a big family that's actually extended like far, far beyond my understanding. Yeah. So I guess I got somewhat of extended family. Like I just tell people who my great grandfather is, and the, the rest tells itself. You know. Oh no kidding. Yeah. So. So that that's cool background, and uh, yeah, thanks for taking that time to explain it to me because it's honestly it's the first time it's all actually been explained that makes sense. So that is really cool. So now you're um, just to go back again. You're kind of learning as a young guy. You're trying to pick this up. Your cousin's taking you out. You're at some practices, and then when was your big chance? When did you get up on stage? And what was that like as a kid? Um, I I vaguely remember some of the shows, but the the whole dance troupe thing. It helped. Uh, it helped foster me into it because I didn't just go out alone. Okay. And uh, it really trained me. There's uh, this lady named Martha Campio. Uh, she's still around today. She she actually runs the Alberta Indigenous Games, the the big event that happens. Uh, they actually have a, a pretty big following. Uh, I did an event for them actually recently, and I, I've I've kind of kept her in in my circle. I, after all these years, I've I've still stayed connected and I acknowledge her because she was part of my beginning, my humble beginning, and yeah. and I, I show thanks and acknowledgement to that. But anyways, uh, some of my very first shows was with with the dance troupe, and one of the biggest ones that I remember was doing the uh, the Heritage Days in Edmonton. Oh big, no kidding! Big festival. Um, and we were part of it as um, an indigenous act there, and uh, yeah, it was it was pretty neat. I it was my first big crowd to perform hoop dancing for, and I was very shy at the time, and I didn't really know how to dance that good. I didn't have a really pretty outfit or anything. I was just kind of. Yeah. Did the hoops? That was my garden hose hoops. <laughs> That's awesome. So, people probably saw me like, "Oh, okay, I'll give him a, a pity clap." <laughs> or, or, but uh, it was some of my humble beginnings, and I, I never thought that uh, I, I, you know, I was just—I guess I was just happy to be there, and and you know, out of my situation, you know, yep. out of the hood, right? Yeah, out of someplace positive someplace like inspirational so that that was my some of my first performances but uh uh it didn't really start to happen for me until um uh, well i had a, a really significant event that happened uh, when i was about 14 i was living in the city and uh, i got in trouble with the law um, and uh, I went to jail for for two to three weeks, and and it was really hard on my mom um, because you know she didn't want me to to be in that place, and neither did I. I it was the hardest uh, three weeks of my life at that time because three weeks when you're 14 years old and you're sitting in a jail cell. It it's come, feels like a lifetime. Okay. I remember looking out my window in my jail cell and just looking at the there's this farmer working out there and and I just thought, wow, that'd be so awesome if I could be out there working with him. I just thought I, was, I just kept thinking that I was like, 
praying for mm. uh, to, to myself or manifesting like me being out there being free and being able to roam free and like that farmer but in the field and enjoy the wind and the sun and, and yeah. at this time I was locked behind bulletproof windows and doors that went every time you shut them and they would lock and uh, yeah and very limited this what uh, you know when you lose your freedom you, you yeah. really think a lot about life so um so i thought about it at that time and i thought well I, once i get out of this place i want to do something better with my life and and so when i got out my mom and i we we eventually moved out of the city back to the res okay and that's when i started to take it more seriously and then my mom uh, so i got two moms so this might be confusing to some people because sometimes i'm referring to one or the other but okay. i was when i was talking to you earlier i was talking about my birth mother yeah. my mother that has that uh she passed away in 2016 my other mother the one that raised me uh, her name was R Ravina Arkand, and uh, that's where I get my Arkand last name okay. from. So, um, anyways, she was the one that I was living with at the time. So we moved back to the res and got back to uh, res life, kind of a little slower paced. And that's when I started to get more and more invested in hoop dancing and and focused on it. And I got so focused on it that. Uh, my mom at the time she arranged for me at the powwow to get initiated into hoop dancing and so an initiation ceremony at a powwow is a really big no, thing kidding, right okay. so she arranged that for me i didn't even know what she was doing and and, and lo and behold uh, uh she's she she uh organized it for me she she approached the powwow committee got an elder she was poor. She didn't really have a lot of money, but she still pulled this together somehow and, and made wow. it happen for me. And, and it was like, it was like the greatest day of my life at that time because it, it, uh, here I had the whole audience acknowledging me as a dancer, and they had a ceremony, an honor song for me where I danced uh, around cool. the arbor by myself, yeah. performed. Like this whole ceremony was like almost an hour long of just Holy me, cool. right? So that really kicked things off for me and then uh, right from there I just started to invest more and more time into it and I never did go back to jail uh, uh, for that that reason because I was invested in it um, and I just kept doing it kept getting opportunities and at that time I wasn't really getting a lot of performances I would get the odd one but my main focus was going on the powwow trail Okay. And dancing and uh, growing as a dancer that way. And that's over the summer for us up in this end, isn't it? Like after yeah, yeah, it's the summer in Alberta and yeah. BC, Saskatchewan. So yeah. I was hitting that circuit. And yeah, as I went along, I sort of like, I just became more and more invested in it. And uh, it just kind of led more into that. And then the thing about that is it brought me closer to culture. So I started going to sweat lodges and night lodges, pipe ceremonies. I was all pro-cultural at that time. Okay. And I stayed away from, you know, alcohol, drugs, and all kinds of stuff at that time that were going around. And, um, you know, it, it, really, it really did a lot of good for me at that time. 
That sounds right. like there was a lot of good folks that saw something in you and wanted to help you out and brought you into that community too. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So yeah. that that's kind of like best way I can explain it then yeah. the, the story of that yeah. yeah that's really cool and then you're also mentioning too that um, you actually got to go over to Europe as a young guy so yeah tapping into some of that too so what are some of the places the unique places that that this dance in your culture has taken you I've seen almost every place in Canada I've been almost I've, I think I've been to every single town in Alberta I've been all over like BC, different parts of BC, Canada. The only place I haven't been to yet was there's two places in Canada. So the Yukon. Okay. I had an opportunity to go there, but I was booked at another event and I couldn't go. I would have loved to go to Whitehorse. Um, and then Nunavut. I have oh, never okay. been up to. Those are the only two places in Canada I have not been yet. But everywhere else, I've been to almost every city, That's cool. every town. And then the United States, uh, I've been to quite a few states, and, um, you know, not bad for a res kid and hood <laughs> kid, because most people that grew up in those settings, they don't yeah. they, they don't ever get a chance. Some people haven't even left the province. Yeah. Some people, the farthest they've ever traveled is maybe two hours away, right? Yeah. So I, I guess it's a big thing for me, because I've traveled around the world, actually. I've, yeah. I've traveled internationally, like... Like I was saying to you earlier, I've lived in Spain. I, I had a contract there with Universal Studios Mediterranean. When I was 23 years old, I um, I had an opportunity to go and perform overseas, so I took it, and you know, it, just all throughout my um, my upbringing, I've had little little jumps and little opportunities, little little successful nuances, I guess of of how uh, I've progressed and evolved as a performer, as an entertainer, as a hoop dancer, as a person, as a human being. I've, I've been able to kind of just gradually grow onto the next thing and, um, you know, eventually leading me to uh, being the star of the show at the Calgary Stampede and the Grandstand show and the rodeo show, the chuck wagons, the midway show and all that and performing in front of, 25,000 people per yeah, night doing it for uh, I I think I appeared, I starred in the Grandstand show eight different years not all in a row but I think I'm the, nobody's ever topped that as an, as an indigenous entertainer no one has ever starred in that show eight times that is really cool so I did it eight, eight different years and probably my favorite years when they flew me up on this eagle and I flew over Paul Brandt dismounted on the eagle and then jumped <laughs> off and started dancing no kidding there's a YouTube video on it actually I I have it it's like the it says I put it as the world's best hoop dance performance ever because I don't think anybody could ever top that <laughs> Circus Dis Lake can't even top that that is really cool well and, and whoever hasn't seen a grandstand show at the Stampede like they don't hold back like, I mean if you yeah. talk about Vegas productions or anything else they've got nothing over top of the Stampede it's a million dollars a night yeah a million dollar budget yeah, yeah it's, it's phenomenal. And, uh, you know, coincidentally, I'd, I'd met your son there. So obviously you've you've taken what you, you've had and brought back, and then you're passing that on to the next generation too, which is which is really admirable. Um, you know, again, walking up on that stage and then seeing the amount of people looking from the other way, like that's a big deal. Yeah. That's a big deal. Yeah, I had my fill of that, you know, 20 years I did with Stampede. Yeah. 
you know, that, there again, that was another uh, big thing for me because when I moved to Calgary, I, I still really didn't have nothing. Uh, that's when my son was first born. Hmm. But um, having a child at a young age really motivated me. That's why I moved to Calgary. Okay. It was the hardest thing I ever had to do in my life because I was a hardcore Oilers fan and I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> gotta move to Calgary and like Calgary Flames. I'm like, I don't know, man. I don't, I don't know Calgary. And it was scary because I was, uh, I think I was 18 or 19 and I moved there with nothing but a bag of clothes, some hoops and barely an outfit. Wow. So is your your main course of business then? It's it's your entertainment thing, or did you have a sideline on this as well? Or? Yeah, I'm a full time uh, artist. That's what I do. Really, cool. last I, I walked away from my my last job when I was 24, and I and I figured, well, if I can help somebody, if I can work for somebody and help them with their career, why why can't I do that for myself? Very so cool. if I can work for somebody else, why can't I do it for myself? And so that's what I've, my philosophy has been. And I, and I, I really, I built myself up though. It didn't just happen overnight. Right. Yep. So it, it just took a, a lot of building and, uh, education's part of it too. Like I did go to school. I, I went to Mount Royal and okay, I'm right a graduate on. there. Went to the university of Calgary I'm you know, I'm university college educated, but I'm a high school dropout. I never got a high school diploma. I didn't even go past grade 10. I just figured out a way to navigate the system uh, in right my on. own way you know got my 30 level courses got me into the program and that's all you really need um, you know because for me high school didn't really work just because of my situation you know lack of uh, resources raised by a single mother adopted on welfare yeah. and, and uh, you know I was I was picked on a lot in school too like on the, on the res I, I was the white kid right and in the city, I was the the native kid, so I didn't win either way. <laughs> I was yeah. like picked down from both ways, right? And then uh, if it wasn't that, then I was like, okay, I'm the poor kid that can't afford nice clothes uh, with the ugly shoes that nobody wants to hang out with because yeah. I'm not that cool. But uh, you know, but I, I somehow always found positivity in whatever I did, and I'm like, you know what, I'm gonna be the best me I can be, and and uh, you know, if you don't like it then that's okay. Yeah, yeah right on. You don't have to worry about it, you know. Yeah, there's uh, 7 billion people in the world go find somebody else that you like. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, yeah. I, was, I wasn't always the cool kid, I guess. You know, it took me years to, to kind of be comfortable enough to, to be myself, you know, especially on stage, too. And that's what people resonate with, you know. Like, uh, I, I really find that, uh, that, that people find that valuable for for somebody to to be their authentic self in those yeah. situations yeah yeah because i guess there's a chance i mean we all do it we throw a mask on one way or another depending on the audience you're with mm -hmm. so to put yourself out there it's it's a big deal and you find when you do that you get that that positive affirmation that connection back with the audience as well i would assume or what is that what is that like uh you you get the good vibes from uh um when you do a performance uh you, you get good vibes uh, because for for me uh, what I get out of it is I'm educating people and I'm entertaining them as well as I'm storytelling and uh, I'm also sharing a part of myself so um, 
when I do do shows, uh, I guess that's what people the takeaway is is uh, they're um, inspired and uh, enlightened in a way and educated. So um, there's some shows like people will give me like a standing ovation and stuff, and and that's really nice because that really tells you that uh, I've <coughs> I've hit the mark. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I did something good, and people it resonates with people, and it's appreciated. You know, so in a way, I'm kind of an ambassador for Indigenous peoples, uh, like for for my people like i'm an ambassador for my community actually i have a jacket that i made myself i i went i'm a thrift shopper so i went to valley village there and i grabbed a nice danier leather jacket a 400 hundred dollar leather jacket that they, somebody just donated there and i bought yeah. it nice jacket and i told our chief i was like i'm gonna make myself a jacket i'm gonna put alexander on there a big huge logo and on one side, it's going to say my name, and then the other side, it's going to say ambassador, because that's what I am. That is cool. I, I really do uh, consider myself a representative for my community, so that's what keeps me in line at times and, and uh, keeps me positive. Is like I, I got to leave a good message because I got to be an ambassador for my people and, in a good way. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's brilliant. You know that you do that, and and once you do that, you've put on that jacket per se. Yeah, you're you're on. You're representing not just yourself. It's it's the community. It's the the area. Um, with your travels too, how do you bring that back into your community? Like you've seen some pretty cool stuff. How do you download that? I guess and inspire the next crop of kids coming through. Well, um, I used to go out and reach out and run programs, but now because of technology, I find it a lot easier to connect with people online and social mm -hmm. media because most people, their attention is on, on the screen all the time. Yeah, Like we're doing a podcast right now and I guess that's where we're going. We're sending it to, see, these guys are on their screens. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're all on our screens, right? Yeah. We're all on our devices. So that's, that's the way to do it is... Because uh, during the pandemic, I reached uh, over a million people during the pandemic wow. uh, on, a, on a regular, weekly basis. I would reach a million people around the world. That is so cool. Because uh, my, my channel went from, uh, I created something called Powwow Dance Aerobics. Okay. What it was is like every morning at 7, I think 7.30 in the morning, every day I would turn on my camera and be like, Hello, Tansei Bojo. Good morning, everybody. <laughs> Welcome to Powwow Dance Aerobics. I'm your host, Dallas Arcand. And very cool. And I would do the class. I would do a half hour class of like, okay, let's get dancing. I know we all have to stay home. Let's stay healthy. Yeah. And so I would do it like, uh, I don't know if you remember those eighties workout videos and, you know, and left. And oh yeah. Yeah. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. right. And left and stretch, breathe, but like, you know, like yeah. it was like a workout show. Right. Yeah. So that's the way I treated it. That's, that was, that was the format I used, simple format, you know, uh, exercise, workout, stretch, um, have some positive quotes on there, you know, to inspire people. That is really cool. So that's why my show resonated with a lot of people. So I did a half an hour and I was consistent. I did about, uh, I think I did about 900 shows in three years. Holy crow. Like over, like close to 900 or something like that. So I did one every day. 
And what did the the rest of the community that was uh, in the powwows and dancing? Was that they liked it oh, too? Yeah, they? there was there was people uh, from from the powwow circle. There was non-indigenous people. There's people from around the world. There was people from Malaysia. People from Ireland. People all across <laughs> Canada, so all cool. walks of life, and they they liked it. Yeah, it was enlightening to them, and some of them even still contact me, and they're like, "Well, we miss your show, Dallas. We wish you could do it again." <laughs> I'm like, "Well, I'm busy doing other things now. I wish I can go back to doing it too, but I, I you know, unfortunately, I'm not on lockdown anymore, so I have <laughs> things have opened up and yeah. um, onto other things, right? So I wish I could have done it, but uh, I got to do other things that that pay the bills and, yep. and also my other passion projects as well. That's cool. Well, what other projects are you getting into? I mean, you have some instruments here too. You were showing us earlier on the flutes, which would sound amazing. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. The these are uh, these are traditional instruments. But uh, uh, right now, my my uh, one of my hobbies is actually I like uh, um, fixing up things. I like building things. I like uh, I like doing carpentry like building construction and uh, I like making stuff and and uh, right so I just I just bought my first house uh, so I'm now I own a piece of Edmonton so I I just bought a house in Edmonton um, I just got possession of it on September 20th oh, right on. one of the hardest things I've ever had to do in my life is buy a house yeah it was it was a lot of hard work stuff I've never I, I didn't understand because I wasn't raised with that kind of mentality. Yeah. So one of my big things right now is uh, I'm really invested in uh, financial literacy because you know, there's no reason why our people can't be uh, uh, thri- uh, thrive and, and be wealthy because it's, it's not that our people don't get money. It's just that our people don't know how to use money and leverage yeah. Uh, money properly and and uh, and things like real estate is is a big one. So I'm really invested in in real estate right now, and and uh, I'm trying to teach that to my children because because you know like sure I've I've made decent money performing and doing shows and whatever, but uh, I really don't I really had nothing to show for it because I thought you know if I perish. What do I got to leave for my kids? Yep. And and now I'm I'm actually a, I'm actually a grandfather now too. Oh, congratulations! My, my son gave me two grandchildren here in the past couple of years. Well, so I I actually have five grandchildren, and they're all from my son. Well, the step grandchildren I consider them yep. um, an extended part of my grandchildren. Even though they're not biologically my grandchildren, they're still yep. part of the circle. And but anyways, I just thought about. That that gave as always my kids give me motivation. They gave me the motivation to go to school and be successful and and you know not not be unsuccessful because their lives depended on it. Same with mine, right? Yeah. So right now I'm really invested into real estate and getting that getting that part of my life right and and making sure that there's some sort of security so that when I'm gone, my kids I leave them something because. I want them to thrive and survive in the future. So, yeah. Um, Junior is doing really well. You know, he's making a career, uh, as you know. Uh, I I taught him everything I know. Yeah, that's awesome. And he's out there performing. He's doing a good job of it. He's kind of 
you know, everything I do seems to bring him up too, right? Because yep. he's out there doing it too, right? So yep. if I get success, it'll just complement more of what he's doing, right? And so that's that's the way I look at it. My daughter, she's not so much into the hoop dancing stuff, but uh, she's actually in her third year university right now. Right on. She, What's she taking? She's taking uh, Indigenous studies and, and uh, kind of more education, uh, policy kind of influence, but it's more uh, Indigenous-focused. Um, everything from uh, uh, understanding uh, politics, education, policies, and uh, I think she's going to get more focused uh, as she goes along but she's already in her third year so she's already pretty much almost done her degree she did graduate high school and she's doing really well she lives out in uh, Kelowna BC and yeah I I always tell her that you know the part of the reason why I'm doing this is like so that they'll have something that I leave for them in the future it'll be for them for the grandchildren and that's what my focus is now and in life and uh at the same time, I'm I'm uh, doing other things that I'm still passionate about, like music. Uh, I'm about ready to release a book too. I've been no kidding working on a book, so I'm just editing it down right now. And, How uh, was that process? The book, yeah. Uh, it's just an extended version of what I've been doing already all these years, but now it's going to be in written format. Okay. Because I've written a lot of abstracts over the years because I'm trained, you know, to be a teacher. So everything I do, I, I'd, I'd have to do a lesson plan and okay. kind of plan it out anyway. So a lot of the lessons, a lot of the things I've taught, like even the, the power dance aerobics class, I would I would write a one pager before I do it anyway, right? So I just decided, why don't I kind of extend that and put it in a book format, but put some personal touches to it and share some stories and share some nice beautiful photos of my outfits and how nice they look and and uh talk about the culture and so when the next generation comes along or 50 100 years from now it'll be part of history too that is really cool so it'll be for that reason too well as soon as you get your book finished let me know because what i'll do is i'll table it uh, in the house and then it'll be on the actual alberta archives so Nice. Yeah, let me, yeah, if you wouldn't mind, that would be pretty cool. Especially from our area, we get a chance to, you know, one of the things in my role is to pass along that as well. Because when you're elected, you're the voice, or I'm the voice of just under shy of 50,000 people. Yeah. So when you go in there, it's um, it's pretty cool to be able to tell our story. And our area has some pretty cool stories. So I'd love to make sure that yours is in there too. Yeah, exactly. And that's what the the book's all about. It's, uh, it's about sharing uh cultural knowledge and you know so people don't have to guess it's yeah. it's it comes right from the horse's mouth as they say right so yeah you know i'm a real indigenous person that has lived these things and and learned these things and i spent a lot of years researching this stuff too right so yeah so. well you're approachable which is really cool i know maybe it's just our generation that's getting past some of those other um things that took place and those barriers that were I believe artificially put between us. Mm-hmm. So if we can talk openly and figure things out and and have these conversations, well done because that's what we need. Yeah. And like my kids in school, I mean they've taken a lot of this. You know the the curriculums have actually started to teach. My generation, we didn't have any of that in school. Yeah. You know when you talk about residential schools or or anything else, I had no idea. You know yeah. it wasn't until my twenties that I took a 
um, Aboriginal awareness training course through work because I was in construction. So we were heading into a different area and we had some sensitivity training until then. It was like completely blindsided. Never knew this part of history at all. And then when we're growing up, I mean, um, out in our areas, the Dakotas were, you know, family friends. Our, my grandpa had been out there for years. Everybody just kind of worked. We we're all dog pile of kids going to a small little school. It was the same thing, rural Alberta. But, uh, yeah, having those conversations means a lot. It goes a long ways. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. So with your music on that side, um, I'm dying to hear some of these pipes on, get some of these audio recordings. You were saying they're ironwood and somebody had made them for you? Yeah, yeah, this one's uh, uh, made by a gentleman lo- locally. Uh, the flute says, Takwakin, uh, I don't even know what that means. Um, you know, I'm not a fluent speaker in the language. Maybe it's in a different language. Uh, the gentleman gifted me this during uh, K-Days this year because I was actually, uh, I was actually uh, managing and coordinating the Indigenous experience this year. I, oh, no I, kidding. I ran the show at... Uh, at the um, K Days at the Expo Center, I very cool. Had a whole hall, the entire hall E. I designed and uh, programmed that show. No kidding. Anyways, a gentleman came up to me and he was a flute enthusiast, and he he uh, knew about me playing flute because I'm I'm actually well known uh, across uh, Canada, I guess, for playing flute because uh, I, I won some awards for it, like some Indigenous Music Awards, and and anyways, yeah, I, so. Uh, yeah, this one's a pretty neat one though. It's a handmade one. I, I, I'm not too familiar with uh, playing it yet, but uh, I'll play a few licks there if you want. Yeah, that would be really cool. And are they any specific songs, or how does that work? Or is it just what you're feeling at the this time? This one's or? a new one, so I don't have okay. anything specific. So this will be just all monkeying around. Okay, cool. Uh, that one, when I play that one, I have I have songs that that I've composed. Okay. But this one's like fresh off of the mind. ripping something off and jamming that's pretty haunting that is really cool mm-hmm. so how did you get into composing like how does how does that process work uh, flute uh, flute is kind of uh, it's a different animal when it comes to uh, composing music like first of all you got to get a taste for it a feel for it uh, it's got to come from inside of you like uh, mm. the flute music so when I first started playing, uh, I was actually in Spain when I started playing, and uh, part of the reason why I started playing is because I was a little bit bored and a little bit adjusting to a different culture, and being on the other side of the world, I missed back home. Mm-hmm. So the flute 
uh, gave me a sense of, of reconnecting with back home and, and uh, my people and my community because I was over in Spain and I was culture shocked by uh, being in a foreign country and having to learn how to live over there and and I was working too at the same time like I was doing shows every day yeah. so it, 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 I was introduced to the flute over there and I've always wanted to like um, to play it uh, sorry I just gotta send this no worries. real quick here uh, yeah sorry it was my dad um, but anyways uh, when I was in uh Spain, that's where I got into it, and, and uh, that was the reason why. So when I got back to Canada, I, I didn't have a flute, and so I, I wanted to get one. I didn't know where to get one right away, and then I, in my travels, I came across one, and I just bought it. And then I just started to notice, like, uh, more and more uh, there is more and more of them came available by then and that's when uh, a lot of online stuff came available okay. and more easily accessible and um, the more I traveled the more I found uh, uh, flutes I actually got so into them that I I was I think I was over buying <laughs> flutes uh, I was like <laughs> Are they kind of like guitars where a person gets addicted to them? Yeah, I, I probably had about, like, at one time, 50 flutes. Holy crow. Yeah, and that's that's how it gets, though. Like, the, some of my flute player buddies, they're like that now. Me, I'm like, meh, as long as I got one or two that work, that's all, that's all <laughs> I need now. But right now, I have probably about eight flutes. I, I haven't counted them all, so I got one, two, three, four, five, six. Yeah, probably about six or seven of them, okay. anyway. And they all they all play different. They all sing different. And so when I compose, though, the the song has to come from from me. Like yeah. it has to, I have to be able to sing it in my head in order to translate it out of the flute. Hmm. So when I do that, uh, I can do some some freestyling. But uh, this other flute here, this one's an ironwood flute. And this one's. Uh, this one's uh, actually, uh, it's, a, it's got a drone note to it, so hmm. it plays a little bit different. This one was gifted to me by uh, one of my friends in my travels. I was, I was actually in the Okanagan, and I met this guy named Dennis Weber. He's an artist. He, he told me he's a direct descendant of uh, Louis Riel. He, he told me his grandfather is Louis Riel, wow. and he's a big, big-time flute collector. So he gifted me this uh, ironwood flute. And it's like rare ironwood, and That's it's like, yeah, it's really cool. And so this one, uh, the only reason why that I can play more songs on it is because it's in the the right key for me. It's in G, yeah. and that's where I, I've composed a lot of songs. So uh, this song that I'll I'll play for you. It's a uh, it's um it's uh, the, the song that I came up with is called Sim and how I composed it was PSIM and Cree means for the sun. So yep. I kind of made this like a happy kind of vibe out of it. And, and that's what uh, is the inspiration of the song is for, for the sun. And when the sun's shining, it, it just those sun rays and, 
you know, a lot of people worship the sun in different ways, and, and uh, this is, I guess, one of them. really neat thanks yeah the, the sound on that one is uh like you said a different is the g but the the other thing too which was extremely evident is there's two different tubes on the end like you you literally have two different flutes you're playing at once which is pretty wild yeah like, yeah, like i mentioned it's got the drone on this side yeah. and then and the melody chamber there so. yeah that is really neat so yeah that's that uh you know that's one of the instruments uh but I, as for myself i uh play a lot of other instruments as well well not a lot but uh guitar and sing and then writing songs and composing songs that way too so i've i've got that other element that comes from me as well so that is cool yeah. we've got quite the the interesting background and then different new projects on the go and what's what's on next for you what do you like when when aren't you busy it's the first thing i'm trying to figure out do you have a season or, or how does this work? Like you must be just flat out the whole time. Uh, well, fortunately, uh, the timing worked great for, like I said, I got possession of this house. And so I knew that uh, maybe my manager was looking out for me uh, because um, as soon as I got possession of it, it's like all of a sudden I had no performances. But right up and from, to be honest with you, right from January, February, it's, it seemed like I was booked every single day and I, I didn't have a break. Wow. Uh, but I, I guess it kind of worked out because I'm a strong believer in uh, uh, manifesting your destiny. And, and I think I, I really put uh, a lot of focus into like where I wanted to go and what I wanted to do. Like I mentioned earlier, I wanted to get into real estate. I wanted to secure a better future for myself and my yeah. children. And and the thing is about being an artist, the scary part is that we don't have retirement funds or yep. retirement plan or whatever, right? It's just like there isn't a retirement plan for an artist. It's usually we just do it till we die. And yeah. That's <laughs> it, right? There's no contingency or nothing, right? Yeah. So that just kind of scared me because, uh, you know, I'd feel bad on my on my last days on earth here knowing that I have nothing to leave my children but now I'm in a place where I feel a lot better about that so um, worked out great though that I'm I'm uh, doing uh, uh, I'm doing this so whenever I'm not busy I'm doing my passion projects like working for my myself 
I'm a self-employed person, so every I always tell people every day I work, even though it doesn't seem like it, I may be sitting over here looking like I'm screwing the dog or whatever. <laughs> whatever you, know. <laughs> you know the saying, but I mean, like, uh, it may seem like I'm not working, but I'm actually working. Yeah. You know, if I'm on my device, I'm working. I'm actually on my page promoting something. Yeah. Right. Even uh, I incorporate my renovation projects into my page and just tell people like, hey, I, I'm not a trained carpenter or anything like that, but look at me, I'm fixing up my house. Yeah. Maybe it'll inspire somebody. Maybe give them an idea or something, right? So. Well, it's yeah. uh, you know the first conversation. I'm going to say the first because it's not going to be the last. I can tell that. Um, really cool to talk to you and, and get to know you, especially from the area. You've been a phenomenal ambassador. And for you to give me up some time here as well to be able to just talk and, and share that. And then downstairs, uh, you know, so folks that are online here, we're actually in the aircraft hangar right now and we're upstairs in the boardroom. But uh, Dallas had articulated he always wanted to fly. And for me, um, you know, I was telling you my musical inclinations aren't that well. I sure as the heck can't sing or, or uh, play an instrument well. But I love jumping in the airplane. Mm-hmm. And for me, that's being up on God's doorstep. Like when you can jump up there in that bubble canopy and you see the clouds and you see the mountains and you see the fields below and everything else. For me, that's that's my spot. So I would love to share that with you, man. I'd love to get you up there one day and go for a flight and whip up to the mountains or go over top of Alexander and see it from above. And then I'd love to see what happens, what that might inspire for you as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're interested in get your pilot's license, yeah, it would... It would dovetail well and with everything I've heard about from you today. Nice. So, yeah. I'd love that. So I'm I'm new at this too for these type of podcast things. And again, like I said, they're just conversations. So um, is there anything else you'd want to add that we haven't touched on that you think we should talk about? Um I I really don't know uh, because it's it's your it's your show. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's what, what, whatever you want to talk about and uh uh, I'm grateful for where our community is going. I'm, I'm actually wearing a, a Chief uh, Georgia Arcan shirt. Oh, right on. So I am somewhat political. But yeah. I support uh, good leadership in our community. Right now, our current chief, uh, he actually just got reelected uh, yeah. into um, into chief position. And I think our community is going to be really thriving and really doing good because we have the right people, more qualified people like that have the education, the passion, and the know-how to run a community and to lead a community and to be good leaders and to always do the right thing for the people and to also create more resources for our people and bring more people together. That's what I see with uh, our community right now that's happening, and it's really exciting to watch because makes me happy and makes my heart smile to, to see that our community is finally thriving and and in the right way and then it's getting healthier and and it's great so I'm, I'm grateful for that and uh, yeah it's it's really awesome to see and um, yeah I totally support that uh, you know yeah. that's why I wear the shirt and, and that's and, uh, that's cool and again outside observer you know I'm only this is my second term I wasn't a career politician just got into this it was for the same reason like when I stepped out of my comfort zone of had my own consulting company and you know was traveling and doing construction and working all over the place and then saw a bunch of changes and uh, you know you mentioned the kids kids change a man so I thought if uh, I had to look at my wife and kids and if I was bitching about something if I didn't do anything about it what kind of a man was I going to be 
Mm-hmm. So really stepped outside of my comfort zone and stepped up for those same reasons for, for our area um, and also for the province. And uh, anybody who's ever been in an elected position, I didn't, I didn't give them the respect that they deserved from before because you literally, you become the shoulder that people cry on, you become the piñata that people hit. Um, sometimes you're everything in between because you have to do that. So my, my observations with working with Chief Arcand, he's solid. Like, mm-hmm. You know, he came out of that Fort Mackay area up there. He has a business acumen, uh, the education side of it. And all it takes is just sometimes that ripple effect, right? Someone to step out there and pull people together. And once you start working together, things happen in a hurry. And uh, it's a team effort. So you wearing the team colors and doing that, yeah, I'm, I'm glad you said that because it, it makes things go a heck of a lot better, quite honestly. And we've got a lot in our area, um, in our province, in our country, if we start working together and doing those things, this thing this thing lights up for future generations for sure. Yeah, exactly. And and you know, when we have right the right people in the right places, then we can move forward and evolve into better things and, and enhance uh, our community and our resources for the future yeah. and, and progress too, like progress in the right direction, you know, not hold on to old superstitions and stuff like that yeah. right that's what i noticed like um in previous leadership that we've had uh, you know the, the, it was it was kind of like setting us back a little bit right uh, having the wrong people in power yeah it's um it's a it's a mindset yeah. you know like everyone's everyone's got stuff and if you can understand where folks came from and part of it too is knowing we're, we're absolutely imperfect creatures you know, you've said uh, be the best that you can be or, or, you know, you work on yourself. Knowing full well, yeah, man, there's a ton of baggage and there's been a lot of things put in, in as artificial barriers to keep us fighting amongst each other. And nothing is more unnerving to those that have put those barriers in place when we're doing what we're doing right now today is to literally have these type of conversations, kind of figure it out. There's going to be missteps and bumps along the way. But when you understand a person's heart, what their intent is, you get people working together, oh, man, like the whole thing I'm working on was economic corridors. So connecting pathways between regions, communities and areas and then extending further. So going out, getting off of off of Canada and into salt water. And once I started pitching that concept that you determine a pathway between regions, it's literally establishing the way we used to do things. You figure out what you have in your area, what can you trade with somebody else and what do you do to a mutual benefit of each other. And once you start thinking about what you have to offer and the other person does, and you're working together, everything starts to light up. So it was literally four years ago when I started talking about this concept. It went from me lobbying the current premier at the time to get a task force put together, to having my report put together, to the next election cycle. We literally had it etched on transportation and economic corridors. It's an actual ministry. And now the premier made me her parliamentary secretary directly reporting to her on economic corridor development. And I just got back from Germany talking about the same thing. I'll be presenting out in Regina talking about that. I'm on councils in the States talking about the same thing because we have to fix these problems that we've had. And every time we pitch that little concept, it's basically reaching across the aisle and shaking the other person's hand and making a deal and respecting the deal and not being so... um, arrogant to think that when I put something on a plan, you have to follow it. Mm-hmm. Sit down on the front end and go, okay, what works for you? What doesn't? Can I go here? Can I go there? What are you doing? What are you working on? Okay, perfect. Let's work on that. 
and then you paper it and go from that point. Yeah. But it's it's really having that that meaningful uh, conversation at the front end, yeah. and then figuring the no go and the go areas, and then after that, get after it, make it happen. You know that visualization, that representation, and getting enough consensus and people on board. Um, you know, I keep pitching people. It's time to become Canadians again, rather than Canadians. We've figured out everything that of why we can't do it. Just make it happen. Mm-hmm. So, your area with uh, with seeing what's happening out at Alexander. Yeah, you guys are making it happen, and full well you're part of a bigger corridor. You're part of a bigger conversation. And uh, yeah, Chief George is the guy. Yeah, he definitely is. Um, yeah, I appreciate uh, the work you do and. You know, take the time to uh, invite me to your space too. It's it, it's nice. Uh, it, it was a nice surprise. Uh, I was surprised that uh, you know somebody of uh, your level of uh, government or um, uh, stature or status that would uh, invite uh, someone like me into your space. I, I appreciate being here. You know, I because I, I I don't think super high of myself. I don't put myself on a big pedestal or anything so I, but i think like uh, that this is like an amazing uh piece here like uh that we're putting together like like your 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 government man like you're <laughs> you're an mla like not everybody gets this opportunity so i i appreciate it you know i'm i i'm just like you know i i guess i feel appreciated for for all the the work that I do too, that it's valued and it's, and, and uh, that, um, you know, I'm, I know I'm not like, uh, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how to put it, but I mean, like, uh, I guess I just wanted to say, I'm, I appreciate the opportunity of being, being here too. Cause you know, I just, I just try to, I've always been a survivor of, of, uh, life and trying to thrive now, I guess is my, my focus. And, and when I do thrive, uh, it's for the for the right reasons. It's because I want to. I'm thinking about my family and my community, and uh, as I do this, I I want to teach these things to my community and influence them in our community. Yeah. You know, these positive things like something simple as financial literacy. Like that's what I've been teaching myself and. Because a lot of our people get frustrated out there, right? There's a lot of people living hard times, and they don't have to live that way. You know, I'm, uh, I'm a big uh, advocate for for family as well. Uh, yeah. You know, even though I'm not like the perfect family man or anything like that, but I still uh, I have a, a strong connection with my family. Like right now, I just took on guardianship for my niece, so I'm like. Yeah stepping up you know for the family and and uh you know i think we, we we're um we we got we still have a lot of healing to do in our community as well yep. so uh, so i think part of it that's it's part of that as well so yeah. no i i appreciate that and and again it's those common values right mm-hmm. like you come back to your your family and your faith and and your community and if if everyone can take part of that and do what they can, honestly do what they can and, and do those things. Yeah, things start to fall in line. But, uh, and as far as being elected, brother, I'm just a farm kid from out west by Chip Lake that won a popularity contest. So the really cool thing with our political system that I found, again, I was no intentions to become a politician, 
I thought the politicians were messing up. There was things going sideways, so I had to go figure it out and how it worked, find out that process and that system. And what I've told a lot of folks is uh, flex your democratic muscle before you can't use it or there's atrophy. There's a lot of folks out there that want to make it complex, but in a simplistic form or, or term, it's just people doing what we're doing right now, Dallas, is just having that conversation, figuring out what they can do to help. You work together as a team and you go out there and, and make that, that happen. And if you're fortunate enough, a lot of good folks come together and they support you. And when you have these conversations, um, they'll either believe you or they won't. And we're social creatures. 90% of our conversation is all going to be based on body language. And people need to look that horse in the mouth and see if it's the right one or if they're mm -hmm. just BSing you. Unfortunately, with the, with the media and social media, people hide behind that. So I tell a lot of folks, go out there and talk to your politicians, bug them, do that. Um, and I don't have a plan on being a career politician. I'm just, I'm just doing what I can for the while that I'm here, and uh, feel really blessed to be put in that privilege that folks, enough folks entrusted me to try to be their voice and to do what we can. And uh, yeah, so I, I appreciate that. But don't don't put politicians on a pedestal. The the system was made to make sure that everybody can be that person from their communities and step forward. Mm -hmm. um, and if we we don't lose sight of that. The system works. Really believe that. So I appreciate it, brother. Yeah. Thanks, man. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. You can find me on social media uh, or go to my website, dallasarcan.com. Um, yeah, my social medias are pretty simple. It's uh, Dallas Arcan on Facebook. I've actually re tried to rebrand myself a little bit on some of the social media sites. So on, on, uh, Instagram and TikTok, I go by Celtic Cree because I found out I'm part Irish, so I'm kind of embracing that identity.